That's my answer. <laughs> God's fundamental, I, I think God's fundamental idea is to give. One of those uh, refrigerator magnet verses that we all love, the ones that get crocheted on the pillows, is for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God set it all up from the very beginning to be a system of giving, I believe. I said in the last couple of weeks how that giving was important because it is in our control. It represents who I am in power. It represents who I am in prestige. It represents what I am in everything. It is my ultimate reaction to all I have and who I am. Uh, perhaps you heard the story about the phone that rang in the church office one early one morning. The church receptionist was not there. And Pastor Schmidt is there by himself. He answers the phone. And the voice on the other end of the line says, Is this Reverend Schmidt? It is, the pastor replies. Reverend Schmidt, this is the Internal Revenue Service. We need your help. I'll be glad to help. What can I do? Reverend Schmidt, do you have a David Anderson in your church? Yes, I do. David claims that he gave $50,000 to your church last year. Did he do that? Reverend Schmidt pauses for a moment and says, Don't worry, he will. <laughs> the question this morning is not, Will we give? Or how do we give? But what I want to tackle in this third part of the series is why we give. You know, you show me a person who knows how to do something, but doesn't really know why they're doing it, they'll give up. But show me a person who knows why they're doing something, but hasn't figured out how to do it yet, don't worry, they'll figure out how. The why is always the major question behind everything. In uh, part of the Denver Post article recently was an article on philanthropy. It was written by Denver attorney Bruce Dabosky, who is an advisor to those who do philanthropical work. He pointed out that Colorado is ranked fifth in the nation in average adjusted gross income. Our state, in other words, is in the top 10% of take-home pay. He also noted, however, that we rank 38th out of 50 in states for charitable giving. We Coloradans are at the bottom 25% of what we give away to others. That says most of us probably could give more than what we do. But the real focus isn't how much. The focus is why or why not. And I think if we can get clear on the why, it may point up why we don't. The first, of course, I think we've got to deal with is a couple of ideas this morning that are really crucial. One, one of the heroes in, in, in my thinking has always been John Calvin, and the other one is John Wesley. Two great, great preachers and great reformers. Wesley, in his book on the use of money, says some interesting things. He was kind of a, a Methodist maverick, if you please, who motivated uh, the masses' management of using their money wisely. And he had three simple rules. Wesley preached this. He said, Let any man, and or let not any man, imagine he has done anything, rarely by going thus far, by gaining and saving all he can. Close quote. 
Then he adds the third rule to this whole process of the two preceding. He says, having first gained all you can, and secondly, saved all you can, then thirdly, give all you can. Close quote. I don't think Wesley's idea was for fundraising. I've done fundraising in the past, and I've never used that for fundraising. As vital as it is for us in this time and place, but it's really more about becoming more like Christ. It's about the discipline, the spiritual discipline, and the gift of generosity so that we become generous people who are shaped in the image of this extravagantly generous God. The text that I want to go this morning is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 6, and it'll come up on your screen there. I'm going to read it, plugging in with verse 6. Yet true godliness and contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Then skipping down to verse 17, it says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money which, he says, is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives all, uh, us all what we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Why do we give? Why do we do good things? It seems that we are rich as evangelicals, are we not, in doing good things? But why are we ready to share even today? Or for that matter, on any Sunday? We might even think like, well, what does Dillon Community Church expect of people who attend here? And more importantly, what does Dillon Community Church expect of those who are members of this church? Well, I suppose that we would expect that you continue seeking the Lord... I would expect that uh, we would want you to attend on Sunday mornings. We would probably want you to serve, you know, if it's not too inconvenient. We'd want you to affirm the doctrinal statement that we pass out in terms of the membership class. We would probably want you to avoid getting into real trouble and gross sin. That would all be part of it. But I think really at the core of this whole thing... For those of us here at Dillon Community Church, we would want you to be a Christ follower 100%. I can't imagine John Fox today, in just a few more minutes, as he challenges the Denver Broncos to take the field against the Kansas City Chiefs to say, guys, can you give it at least 80% today? I coached football and basketball in high school. I don't think there was ever a time I went out there and grabbed the guys before we went out and say, okay, guys, let's give it 80%. I can't imagine a husband and a wife standing at an altar. And the husband says, with this ring, I thee wed, and I promise to be faithful 80% of the time. The marriage could end right there. There's a sense in which we would want you to be, the expectation is to be 100% 
as a Christ follower. Jesus gave everything to us. He set the standard. God the Father planned it. Jesus executed it. He gave us life. He gave us sustenance. He gave us work. He gave us talents. He gave us salvation. He gave us joy. He gave us peace. In the end, we get eternal salvation. Did you know that 32 things, when you became a Christian, 32 things happened to you? Do you know what they are? They're your spiritual inheritance. Uh, I was thinking about this one time and quite a ways back in my ministry, and I thought, what would it be like if I had an Uncle Louie who was a multi, multi, multi millionaire, and he died, and he named me in the will? And the reading of the will was going to be at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. I got to tell you, gang, I'd be there. And I'd probably wear a tie. Not only, I know I dress up a little bit on Sundays, but I'd probably put a tie on. I'd put on cufflinks. I might even wear one of those gold things that holds your tie steady. And I'd be in the front row, waiting to hear how much Uncle Louie dropped on me. Do you know what we do every Sunday? We read the last will and testament of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we tell you about your spiritual inheritance. I don't see anybody on the front row. Oh, I do. Yep, good for you. Don't see anybody in a tie today. Not advocating ties from here on out. 32 things. Do you even know what they are? 32 things that were given by you, by God, as a Christ follower. If you don't know what they are, just see Roger Brooks afterwards. He's got them. Roger, if you need to talk to me, I'll give you the list. It's amazing how we'll line up for an earthly inheritance, but God has given us everything. It was designed that way. So point one, why do we give? Number one. We're generous, first of all, as an acknowledgement because we know who God is. God is the creator and owner of everything. The psalmist proclaims, he says, the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Hmm. More personally, naming God as the possessor of heaven and earth who brought you into being and placed you in this world. Wow. I don't see that on always on legal documents that God is a co-owner of the business. Or in fact, He is the owner of the business. Paul, as he mentions to the Corinthians, says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God, and that you are not your own? Everything we have is a gift from God. It belongs to God. And it's supposed to be used to glorify God. And I think that includes our money, too. That leads me to the second truth, and this is where I'm going to camp today. So I know the first point was short, but the second point is we're generous because we know who we are in relationship to God. God is the owner, and we're the temporary managers. He has placed you here not as a proprietor, but as a steward. He reminds us that we're to enjoy everything that we've received from God. 
And here's, the, here's, here, here's what even Calvin said. Employ it for Him in such a manner that it may be acceptable through Jesus Christ. Here's our new motto. Employ and enjoy. <laughs> employ what He has. Enjoy. You know, across the many years, our family has been blessed by several members in various congregations that we've served. They've given us their homes, their second homes, and been very gracious to share for us in some kind of vacation and rest. We have a, we've been blessed with a, a, the use of a lake home in Northern California. And now even mountain homes here in Silverthorne and, and, and Dillon, even currently. A home that's just outside of Breckenridge. We were blessed with a beach apartment at one point in Southern California. And in each hospitable area, we were welcomed and at home. Everything was at our disposal. We had dishes, TVs, hammocks, bikes, recreational items. We enjoyed these things immensely. But our family, I think, was keenly aware that uh, the homes we enjoyed and everything that we had in them belonged to somebody else. I mean, the owners loaned, them, loaned it for a time to us so we can enjoy. We did. We employed and enjoyed but we enjoyed them in a way that was consistent with the owner's original intention in building these second homes in the first place. The homes did not belong to us. And after a time, we had to return the keys or garage door openers, sometimes reluctantly. Now, while we had this possession, though, we always felt great responsibility to use and care for these homes in ways that reflected our gratitude for what they had done for us. I have a wonderful wife who, is, who cleans so well that many people have said, even some of the wives, and said, we got back and the house was cleaner than I normally keep it. <laughs> Why? Because we really, really were thankful. The Bible says the same is true for our bodies and souls as well as for our material goods. As stewards, we're to give to God all that, we, all that we can. We're not giving God something that belongs to us. We're simply giving to God by honoring what He has first given to us. Our generosity becomes a finite human expression, does it not? Of an infinitely generous God. Well, that was true in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals and to prayer. Now listen to verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. Now what was going on? Well, they were all coming in Jerusalem for the, for the, for the time of the feast. They had come from many miles away. This was not like you could catch a plane to Jerusalem here. Some of these people lived hundreds of miles away, and it took them maybe up to a month to get there. And so when they came, they needed a place to stay. And the festival would go on for a while. And so people invited them in, and they started sharing food and their homes and everything. I know that some people have taken this, this text out of context and thought, this is a good proof text for communal living. No, I'm not signing up for that one. But they brought them in. And they were sharing as they had. And they were sharing what was in common. 
And as they did, as they listened to the, 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 the men teach, and as they, they, they took the, the dinner and they had prayer together, there was a great sense of awe that came over the place as this generous spirit was being kind of shared with everybody. When's the last time you were at church and you had felt a great sense of awe come over you? I know that God never leaves us, never forsakes us. I know that He's right here right now. But may I point, may I just point out something? There are times where I've been in church and I've heard the singing, I've heard the preaching, I've seen testimonies gotten, people gotten up and given testimonies and everything else, and there was a sense in which that some Sundays it just seems like Jesus shows up really big time. And I know He's there all the time, but there are times where I sense it big time. And that's what was happening right here in the time of Pentecost. They were filled with awe and wonder. All stemming from a sense and a spirit of generosity. I don't know if I've ever been touched more. Even when the world dabbles with it in movies and little sitcoms where somebody generously gives something that maybe they can't really afford, but they give it away anyway because they know they can't keep it. And we're touched by that. There's a sense that it pulls and it plays the heartstrings like a cheap guitar in our heart. They worshiped together in verse 46 at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. If you think anything in your possession really belongs to you, just wait a hundred years, <laughs> if you live that long. See if you still hold title. You may have seen or heard of the game Monopoly. Well, this year it's 77 years old, Monopoly. The game has sold 275 million sets in 111 countries and 43 languages since 1935. Three years ago or maybe a little longer, California pastor John Ortberg wrote a book which compared our lives to the game of Monopoly. And the descriptive title of that book is simply this, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And that's what Paul is declaring today when he says in 1 Timothy 6, We brought nothing into the world, it's certain that we will take nothing out of it. It all goes back in the box. In, 19, in 2009, there was a death of an iconic pop star that kind of shook the world. Name, Michael Jackson. Lived to be 50 years old, performed 45. Was outrageously wealthy. Some of his spending was absolutely amazing, frivolous. And he was... He, it went beyond anybody's comprehension. But I can remember one scene that was absolutely tragic, and I can still remember. It was televised around the world. It was them carrying Michael Jackson's body out under a simple white sheet. This frail body carried out under a white sheet. Brought nothing in, took nothing out. I remember the same scene for Howard Hughes, George Steinbrenner, 
billionaires Nicholas Hayek, John Kluge, Walter Shornstein. And it's going to be the same for Bill Gates and Paul Allen. It's going to be the same for you. You're going to be carried out in a white sheet, under a white sheet, and it all goes back in the box. It's the way we came in. It's the way we're going out. Those years between birth and death were temporary managers, were stewards of the things that really belong to God. When I said earlier that Wesley said, give all you can, he was encouraging the biblical call to generosity. Paul said to Timothy, to these early Christians, we read it already, tell them to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, so that they can make or take hold of life that is really life. You see, giving and living are connected. They don't... There's an equal sign right between them. That's what this whole series has been about in generosity. Giving is for our good. We need to give. John Ortberg said in his book, he said that in 2010, studies were done in 44 major universities. Listen to this, quote, The remarkable bottom line of the science of love is that giving protects overall health twice as much as aspirin protects against heart disease. Close quote. It's healthy to give. Yeah. We benefit as well as others from being generous people. We experience true life, abundant life, healthy life, joyful life. In a recent article in the Denver Post, it carried the story of a man named, by the name of Ronald, Ronald Terwilliger. Ronald is the former CEO of the Trammell Corps Crow Residential de- uh, Development Company. The story reported that he gave $100 million to Habitat to, for Humanity to build 60,000 new homes. He said people need a decent, safe, clean residence where they can get a good night's sleep and families can be together, close quote. Friends, there's a lot of good reasons for us to do good. I don't have to tell you that. That we should be rich in good works, generous and ready to share. I mean, first of all, our generous gifts, they do help each other. They make a difference in our lives. Secondly, our gifts express who God is, the owner, and who we are, the stewards. Thirdly, our generosity blesses our souls, our lives, the quality of our very living. We become healthy individuals. In one passage, it kind of almost promotes the idea that it adds to the years of our lifespan. So gain all you can without hurting yourself or your neighbor. Save all you can by cutting off every expense which serves only to indulge foolish desires. And then give all you can that you may give a good account of your stewardship. Give all you can. Give of yourself especially to him who didn't withhold one thing, not even his only begotten son. That's why we give. Giving is living today, tomorrow, forever. The reason God gave his son, the reason God gave good gifts to men, the reason he gave you the fruit of the Spirit, the reason why we give to one another is from one thing, generosity. Winston Churchill said this, You make a living by what you get, 
You make a life by what you give. So let me reiterate what Paul said to Timothy. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Good verses to put up on the fridge. Good verses to crochet on pillows. But even more important, verses to literally live out. Give 100% this week. Give it all. Have a strong week. We are a team. And let me play the coach for just a minute. When you leave this building, you're on duty. That they might see Christ in you, the hope of glory. He designed it from the very beginning, from his very nature, to be outrageously generous. He's given us everything, every spiritual blessing. He withheld none. And he says, I'm the owner. You're the steward. Bless people with it. Bless your family. Bless your relatives. Bless even the strangers that come to your door. Even give a cup of cold water in my name. And the church was filled with a sense of awe. A sense of awe. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that is whom you whom we serve. You are our guide, our God, our deliverer, our Savior. You are our all in all. And may we now commit our time to you. May we live this week as Christ followers who are giving 100%. May there be a sense of devotion, encouragement, and love this week that we would come. And even though we're not in church, there might be a sense of awe in homes. There might be a sense of awe when we're with family. There might be a sense of awe when we're with even neighbors or even those we don't know. Oh God, that through this generosity and through this generous spirit that you provided for us, people might come to know you. And I love that last part of Acts chapter 2. And there were people being added to the family of God every day. Thank you that it comes with a generous heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.